This podcast was brought to you by Spartan Sports. This is The Running Game, a podcast that covers rugby from the ground up. I'm Tim Gilbert and I'm joined by my co-host, Matt Dunning. How are you, Matty? I'm fantastic, uh, Timmy, in lockdown, more restrictions, but I'm, I'm going okay. But we can watch the sport, which has been fantastic. What about the acting of the French captain in the opening minutes of the oh. Test match? Of course, Australia won the Series 2-1. I'm going to ask you soon about what's it like playing against the French. But what a, he went down in a screaming heat. It was uh, Lawrence Olivier stuff. Mate, at best... Marika's hit him in the in the sternum or the, the throat at best, and he's gone down with his head on his forehead without a mark. It was it, it was it was better seen it was better seen in Euro uh, in the soccer. It was it was disgraceful. Um, I thought the send off was terrible. Um, I actually was I, I turned the game off and off for a bit and didn't put it back on until after half time. I, I was really disillusioned with it, but. Um, I couldn't keep it off for too long. Well, what a great finish, and I watched the end of the game. But, yeah, it's not good for rugby. Um, I think that was a really – I think they got that one wrong. Yeah. And if they got it right, then the game's got something wrong. Yeah, it was it was bullshit to go down the way he did. It really was. And, you know, I'm not a former elite player. I know that. So I'm careful with what I say. But I just don't know how that brings anything to the game at all. We've got a great show on the way today. Your former flatmate, Benny Whitaker, of course, played for the Western Force, played for the Rebels, um, a hooker. And he's a coach these days, doing a really good job, not only at schoolboy level, but in the women's game. And Nigel Staniforth, very famous name in rugby. He is the captain of the Orange Emus. So, Matty, what's it like playing against the French? We just mentioned earlier on about the acting and stuff. What is it like playing against France? They, they're they a formidable side. There's like six Andre the Giants in that pack. Yeah, look, the, the French are very passionate. Um, I've, I've, I played three tests against France. Uh, had a couple of months in France, but failed the the medical went over to Brits. But they're 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 interesting. They're very passionate. Uh, they have all the flair in the world, but they're also tough. But then there's there's, there's that sort of um, I don't know what you call it. That sort of uh, that soccer mentality sometimes. Where they'll they'll take a cheap shot, then go down injured. But they're they're, they're an incredible rugby nation. Uh, they love it. I I remember playing them in Marseille in 2005, and it was a hard fought test match in Marseille. And and the thing about when you play in France, the smallest crowd you play in front of in France for a test match is 60,000, because that's a that, that's that's at Marseille. If you play at Stade de France, you're playing in front of 80. They just love their rugby. They're very passionate supporters, and at home they just refuse to lose and never beaten France in France. And they just they 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 love a cheap shot. Um, which is uh, quite interesting. Uh, why punch someone in the face when you can punch them in the back? But-, <laughs> but but they're hosting the next World Cup. They're right in the money for the next World Cup, aren't they? Oh, the next World Cup will be fantastic over there in 2023. They've got it. Uh, it's, it's a great place to tour. Um, I'm actually going over there on a, on a supporters tour for We Love Rugby. I'm taking a bus around there. Can't wait in two years' time. It's going to be fantastic because they love rugby, uh, especially when you get down into that uh, the southern region uh, in, in around Ritz, to Toulouse, Bayonne, uh, you know, in, in Lyon. They just love rugby. Rugby is the, the further you go south, the, the bigger rugby is and it's just a great place to play and tour. And, and as much as I've given a bit of a hard time, they are a great nation to tour and great guys to play against after a game of rugby all is forgotten you shake hands the great thing about you play in France when I, when I went when you play there in France 
and the players are smoking in the change room after. You know, they 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 love and they love it. They love a red wine. They don't take it too serious. But uh, you know, what a great place to to tour and what a, a great rugby nation. Yeah, I tell you what, you'd have a good feed and a good glass after that in France. <laughs> All right, this is the running game coming up shortly. We have former Super Rugby player. He's now doing a lot of things in the coaching game. Ben Whitaker. <laughs> Well, former Western Force player who's actually a flatmate of you, Matt Dunning, and uh, now does a lot in the coaching game. Ben Whitaker, how are you? I'm well, boys. How are we? Great, Ben. Great to be on the show, Wits. So, mate, obviously now you're coaching. You're doing a fair bit of coaching. You, you, you've, you've retired, obviously. Uh, how, how has the transition been going from, obviously, playing to coaching now? How have you found it? Uh, so, I try to explain it to people like this. From when I was six to about 12, my dad emotionally, spiritually emphasised how important rugby was in my life. From when I was 12 to 18, I went to boarding school and every day of my life, wanting to wear that Barker First 15 jersey, emphasised how important rugby was in your life. I mean... Uh, no joke, I thought I was going to be homeless or a rugby player. And so, and then when, so I went from the boarding house to the Western Force. And then from the Western Force to be told my neck had been injured, you, you imagine the, the training, the, the, what, do, what your brain is being told since you were six years old that there's just nothing else out there for you, which is what led to me being a successful rugby player. You know, I wasn't ultimately talented. I was, I, you know, I had a good crack, but, but just in my my eyes, there was nothing else, so I had to go. And so leaving leaving that space, uh, almost brings me to tears. You know, it was just. Uh, Rugby, rugby gives you things. It gives you things physically, spiritually, financially. It gives you friends. It gives you networks. But as soon as rugby finishes, 90% of those things are taken away. And the best way to fix those 90% of those things uh, negative impacts on your life. So, how did you get into coaching, Ben? What was what, what was it brought you into uh, into coaching from from that that sort of place? Well, because I, because I, I wanted to find that feeling again, and I and I knew it wasn't going to be d- destructive uh, destructive things. Uh, so, when after I left the Rebels, I went to Barker Hat in Hand, and they gave me a job and. And something actually really special about coaching is because it's it's a pretty spiritual thing. Is it's, it's in the human nature. Is we we prefer to help others than you know, like kind of getting our own success. Like uh, I don't know how well I've articulated that, but uh, you know, like we like to do, do good things for for people, and I think that's what coaching is. And when I see a kid. Uh, who's struggling uh, and and at his tackling, and then two weeks later he's belting some big Trinity bloke. It just 
that's as, that's as good as feeling for me as running out of Subiaco. So that's interesting, isn't it? So you 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 so that identity that you lost as a player, uh, there was obviously a holding pattern and a, and a very dis- difficult holding pattern. But you you found and have found a lot of that now as a mentor, as a coach. Yeah, hundred percent. I say to the girls, coaching will give you back your playing days, but not all of it. It'll, you'll get just about there. You get the preparation element. Uh, you get the physicality element. You get the competitiveness because you want to out-compete the other coach. So a lot of little boxes are ticked. The money money box, not so much. Um, <laughs> not yet anyway. I'll get there. But, yeah, it's amazing. You know, the, the game does keep giving back for those that deserve it. And, uh and yeah. I love it. But I, I think it's a great story, Benny. It's, it's it's amazing how your own problems die and neglect when you help others. It's a it's a tremendous story and what coaching can give back. What it, what interests me also is obviously you've had a lot to do with coaching young men and you've played with men. How is how has been coaching women different to coaching boys and, and, and playing with men? Oh well, yeah. So this is my second year, well, two and a half year coaching it. Um the uh the positives are that it's like coaching the world's most talented under-16s team. They want to know everything. They're all so coachable. They'll run around on one foot if, they, if they're told to. Like, they're, they're just incredibly coachable. They're, they're hungry for detail. They're knocking on, you, on your door. I've probably got about 30 unread messages how could I have done this better? What can I do in this area? But whereas it transitions to the professional men's game or that men's 18s first cults is that they think they've got it all sorted. And by some rights, you know, you, I can understand that because they've been playing it since they were six. But whereas these women, it's, it's all very new for them. But what I love about coaching these women is is that they no, they wear their heart on their sleeve like me and they will do anything for each other. Before we played that Reds in the final, oh, I just knew we were going to win because I looked them in the eyes and I said, you have to. It's not about how you feel. It's not about feelings. You have to go and beat the shit out of them. And they did it. And I was, and these were 20-year-old girls from Coffs Harbour with her whole family there, and she made the wall of roots. I mean, just amazing. Mate, that was a tremendous win. We spoke to Emily Chancellor a few weeks ago about that win, and she was she was so positive. But, Benny, one more story. We can't – I'd love to chat to you forever, but one more story. This story has gone about rugby for a few years, and I, I don't know if it's true, so I'm going to ask you today. Nathan Sharp tells a story about you guys being in the force the year before I came in South Africa, beautiful summer's day. Or you're sitting in Camps Bay and you go to Sharpie. You said to Sharpie, where's the greatest place in the world to tour? You're sitting in Camps Bay, South Africa. And Sharpie says, Cape Town first, Africa, daylight second. And then you responded to him, where's daylight? Is that story true or has Sharpie made that up? It's true, but there's some context <laughs> to the truth. We just had our first win in about six weeks and it, and him, Giddo, and Jury and yourself 
had taken me out on a bender, so I wasn't thinking clearly. <laughs> and finally, the one, one last question: What was it like as a flatmate with this bloke? What did, what did, did you, was that when you were eating Big Macs every day without making light of of that, those circumstances? No, I could mate, I could go on about jokes with Matt as a roomie, but everything that I'm teaching scrummaging wise is about Matt because when Matt came to scrummage. He's he almost like he turned into a different person. You can think that's weird or or over the top, but I remember him coming out of him one scum and him punching himself in the head. And that kind of commitment, desire to his craft was uh, the really, I was like, God, if he's holding himself to this accountability and I'm accountable to him, then I better step up. And I try and instill that in, in, in my Gen Blue under-18s. Flick the switch. Find a way. Finding that Matt Dunning aggression I referred to. So, Matt, in all seriousness, I didn't just say it for the sake of the podcast. I do use it and I do appreciate it. And, and Thanks, I'm sure Matt. you appreciate a couple of my scrums. Oh, 100%, Benny. It's great to have you on the show. You're a gentleman, and it's great to see how you're going as a coach. And um, lucky I couldn't punch a hole through a paper bag. I would have knocked myself out. But thanks, East Benny. i got one more story if you've got time for it. Let's go, Ben. Let's do it. Yeah, so we were at one of our earlier pre-seasons, and when a break breakdown's formed, you know, I usually leave it. And uh, I, I like to counter-ruck it just to piss them off. And Matt ha- happened to be pilfering up at the front there, here thinking no one was going to hit him. So I hit it as hard as I could, and then he grabs my jersey, hits me with this left hook, <laughs> pulls me to his face and goes, don't ever fucking do that again. <laughs> and I walked away and I thought, and I never did. I mean, I did to the South Africans and the, and, and the Kiwis, but I never did it to him again. <laughs> you can't get yeah. some a training, Ben. Thanks a lot for coming on the podcast, mate, and uh, hopefully we can get you back on again when, when you've got some time and got a few more stories and a bit more success with that women's team and some more coaching stories with the under-18 Gen Blues. Yeah, yeah. Sounds, thanks for having me on, boys. Been a pleasure. Coming up on The Running Game, we're heading rural. We're heading to the country, going to Orange, and we're going to talk to the captain of the Orange Emus, Nigel Staniforth. Are we seeing the emergence of a new asset class in the sports sector? How was the breakaway football super league to be financed? How much was that private equity investment into volleyball? What are investors' plans for Davis Cup tennis? I'm Reese Lenarduzzi, the head of advisory at Athlon Partners, a global fund and corporate advisory firm specialising in the investment and acquisition of sports organisations and sports assets. I'm also host of the all-new podcast, Sportonomic. Join me as I speak to industry experts, athletes, stakeholders and other key players to uncover the curtain engine and machinations of sport. Each week, I venture beyond the mere headlines and into the depths of the issues surrounding sports business, sports law, sports economics and finance. Find us on your favourite podcast app. Sportonomic, sponsored by Athlon Partners. Come find out about the emerging universe of sports capital at athlonpartners.com. Well, it's time to head to the country and, and a guy that obviously has played a lot of football away from the country but grew up there and a very famous surname when it comes to rugby union, Nigel Staniforth is the captain of the Orange Emus and, of course, a former Shoot Shield player. How are you, Nigel? Very well, thanks, guys. Very well. G'day, Nigel. Thanks for coming on the show, mate. It's, um, how's it been playing in Orange at the age of 40 
uh, after playing in uh, in Sydney with such an illustrious career playing shoot shield. Have you enjoyed uh, coming back to country rugby to your roots? Oh, surprised actually. I'm still playing. Um, so this this will be my final year, but I never I thought I'd play for a year or two. We moved here when we we're 32. And I thought I'd, you know, meet some meet some people and it's a good way to integrate into the town. And my brother Graydon came back from France and I just came back from Perth and we said, why not? We've never played rugby together. I think AFL was the last time we played together when we were little kids and we said why not? And um I got him to play to 42 and um I can't believe I'm still playing at 40, but um the body's well, and it's it's kind of a good sign. It's it's a good club, and I'm yeah lucky to have some good people around me. So, how many years have you been at the EMU? So does, that, does that make it you've been eight years with them? Yeah, eight years, um, which has been amazing. Eight years. So, uh, I think that actually this might be the ninth year, actually. So, um, yeah, so pretty heavily involved. Um, but yeah, been been lucky enough to drag a fair few people around me um, who hit this town into the club, and um, that makes it all a bit easier. And how's it playing with uh, with young men who are born in uh, a different millennium? Uh, I've, I've never experienced that, so I want to know what, that, what that's like. I've got a, you know, my son's uh, 21, so I imagine you're playing with kids that, are, that old. Oh, we, yeah, I do, actually, at the moment. We've got um, a young winger who's 19. Um, wow. We had a winger last year. He was 18. Um, he was still at King Ross, actually. So um, it's fairly different. Uh, they do listen to me, so that's always good. But um <laughs> The, the change room chat afterwards is um, a bit different to what I'm used to and the music, but um, <laughs> I, I'm lucky enough I still control the music before games and after games, so uh, have a bit of say there. Tell us about the club. Tell us about the, the town's love of the club and, and, and where it's at, rural country rugby. Yeah, it's really interesting. Um, I think our, our club defies the odds what you hear around the negativity around rugby. Um we kind of we're not waiting on anyone else to do what, what we want to do as a club. So um, we made that decision about oh, five or six years ago. So um, last this year is actually our biggest registration number. Even during you know a little bit of a COVID COVID um, pandemic out this way as well. So we've got about 250 juniors, um, 124 men. So they're across um, four teams. That's three grades and eighteens. Um, and the really big sign of big growth has been our women's game. So we're up to 37 registered players. So I think that's a bit, bit over 400 players. Um, on the back of last year, we were about the same, but that's with a lot of the private schools, uh, their comps were shut down. Um, so that's kind of where we're up to as a club. And I think as a board about eight, eight nine years ago, we, we weren't doing that well in the juniors and we decided to, to change up the board and it started from there, I think, like anything. And we decided to make some, some big calls and get some good structures and some good sponsors in um, and like people. And um, and then it's kind of flowed on from there. So, um, so Nigel, I've done a few uh, trips to, to, to Orange and with the Emus, my mate Mac and Great Batch was involved there for many years. Yes. And I've done a few, yep. done a few dinners there. And what always got, got me about the Orange Emus, like a lot of country rugby clubs, is just the spirit of and the volunteer basis. Like there's so many people at that club who just give back week in, week out, and, and, and just the whole life evolves around it. And it just builds just a, a great club and a great environment for, for men and young men too, boys. Yeah, and the Great Batch has been a big part of that. The, his dad was president. I'm actually playing with uh, his son at the moment, Sam Great Batch. So um, <laughs> well, I could just finish when I turn up. And um, Sam Great Batch is one of our the, um, great forwards. He, he made country last year. Um, he's abrasive number six, um, pretty funny guy. Um 
So it, it does, it does show. Like you go through through my brother Mitchell actually played here a fair while ago as well. So you do have that flow on effect. Um, we just have one of the, the women's player play of her daughter um, as of two weeks ago, I think it was. Um, so in, in the women's competition as well. So I think, you know, that's a big part of our, our club. Um, it's very inclusive. It's probably the most inclusive club I actually I've come across from playing overseas to playing in Sydney. Um, that's probably the biggest thing I've found. And we kind of drove that as well because that's the beauty of a rugby club, different personalities. Um, and, and we've been able to get a strong enough coaching team together that guys, um, it's been worthwhile for guys who have come out here relocated from Sydney um, or come back to Orange, you know, after going around the world or going up to Sydney or Newcastle to come back and play, which has been a bit of a struggle in the past. So I think we've got five guys in their late mid thirties at the moment in our first grade team. And that's something we've been able to do for some good coaching and get the right coaches. And it makes it worthwhile to get down there. You've got a perfect lens to look through having played overseas and, and played in the big smoke. To one, one of the criticisms of the game and over the last few years has been this fracturing through the game and, and those that play in rural rugby don't feel attached to headquarters. What's your take on all of that? Yeah, it's a tricky question. I'll probably there is an attachment. I think there, there's some big efforts over the last year to to get that reattachment, um, especially with the Wallaby brand. Um, just little, I, I think it's a great idea. The the thread or the colour of the yellow, like or the gold, I should say. Now, um, how many times can you change that colour? Um, they got that right. Just choosing one colour and sticking to it. So creating a brand and the attachment that people know exactly what it is. Um, so we've we can't personally do much about that but what we decided to do as a club we can go out and get a good board and we can get some very good sponsors out of this town like Angelon um, Vineyards is a big one of our sponsorship we told them our vision eight ten years ago and uh, we, we came last and the following year we lost the grand final we've been in the grand final in first grade for the last eight years and they've they've come along the, the journey and um, they're a great family wine group out this way as well and we've been able to um, embellish that and um, grow that I suppose um, through all our sponsors right down to um, our company my company sponsors the Mighty Under Sixes um, as well so um, I suppose going back to that New South Wales rugby and um, and Australian rugby the New South Wales rugby nearly lost the Central West last year uh, it was only came down to about two votes um, at the extraordinary AGM and Central West were kind of heading their way to um, go underneath the ACT banner. Um, so um, we can't control that, and that's something we've just stayed away from, and we've just done our own thing and try to grow grow it from the you know the ground up. And if New South Wales rugby and, and things evolve and get a bit better, Australia, along with Australian rugby, that, it's going to be majorly beneficial because rugby is extremely strong in the Central West. Yeah, talking about the strength of the rugby in, in the Central West, I've, I've seen it obviously a few years ago now, but how do you see the quality of the players playing in that in, in that comp over the last eight years you've been there and when you were younger, obviously? And how do you see the pathways for those, those younger players getting more and more um, sort of developing in their rugby and getting higher on it? Yeah, I, I think um, the we go, you do go through cycles out here um, that can be affected from the drought out west. Um but the, across, the, I think we're up to about 28 clubs are playing in the Central West at the moment. So that's wow. down to West Wollong, Cowra, Burua, across the, the Narromine Gorillas, across the Mudgee Wombats, um, then us kind of in the middle. So 
And they do go for recycles and um, clubs definitely go for recycles and holding on to a, a good cycle is, is probably the key thing to do. Um, so I think the quality is still there. Like we're like our halfbacks, um, the country halfback, um, our 10 this year, we've been convinced to put the boots back on is Angus Roberts, who played um, only two years ago for the Melbourne Rebels. He's only 30. Yes. Um, we're lucky enough to have um, another a country centre and, um, and, you know, Tom Joseph and used to play for Ramwick and that's just in our back line. So, um, so, you know, the, I think there's, and there's a two forwards who um, are shoot shield players in our forward pack. So, I think um, just with what's gone on the last two years, I think that standard might grow because I think a few people are looking to relocate and get out of Sydney and, and go back to their grassroots a little bit a bit earlier than previously. So I think the standard's there. Um, the pathway, I think the pathway is extremely strong. It's just been a bit mixed and matched between the the club system and um, the school system. I think that's coming a lot clearer in the last few years and I think that pathway is coming very clear and I think it is a choice um, kids could make um, especially um, the, the emerging women's program is extremely strong I think out here out, out of the other codes I think um, the number one choice is the the easiest code and the probably most prevalent is the women's rugby code if you if you mm. want to go mm. um, to uh, might be sevens or fifteens I think that pathway is very clear and I think um, Matt Tink's um, really pushed that the last two or three years and um, he's pushing that pathway through um, Central West Rugby. He's kind of bringing it back to old tours, which um, I think is really good. It breaks down the local clubs here, the barriers between the players. Oh, uh, yeah, they absolutely. New, and they went to New Zealand two years ago. And then on the back of that, um, I think they won the last two comps um, in, out of Country Week. And, um, and, and Country are looking to do the same thing, to go back to those tours. They're pretty short tours because people with work commitments, but, um, you know, it's seven to ten days and um, bring that back in and, create that pathway. Yeah, I think we should have a running game tour for about 17 weeks once we can start to travel again. To be honest, we're all a bit desperate to go for a trip. Finally, mate, tell us a little bit about the tribalism uh, amongst the towns because uh, uh, I love it. Yeah, it's really interesting, actually. And this year's probably been a big eye-opener for me. My little fellow, uh, Felix, he's in under sixes and um, we went across the Mudgy Wombats the other day and he, he had a good running. Him and another mate had a good running uh, battle with the Mudgy Wombats. And, you know, on the way back, he starts talking about it in good jest on the way back on the car park. So uh, all the way home to Nelly Orange. Um, so it starts pretty early because the Wallers days are fantastic out here. So it starts in under sixes and it goes through to first grade, obviously. So we, we have a big rivalry in, in town with Orange City, but um, it's healthy. Um, and then... Bathurst Bulldogs have been the last two grand finals before that against them. Then two years before that, we had the Forbes Platypie, which um, they got us one year after we were undefeated. Um, and then the year before, we got them on the bell. So, um, and it breaks down after the game, especially those Central West groups and tours and um, teams have really broken down that. So, it's once the game's over and you saw it um, on the weekend when Fiji played New Zealand, um, everyone's mates and everyone gets on with it and has a beer and um, have a laugh. So, Nigel, the most important question, a big part of Orange and country rugby, especially Orange when I went up there 20 years ago, was Goanna Wrestling. Is Goanna Wrestling still around <laughs> in country rugby? And can you explain but, Goanna Wrestling for some of the for our listeners? Yeah, the, um, well, the top's got to come off, which I'm sure Tuck would have looked good back in the day. Um, so the, a belt joined between um, two joint two belts joined um, and then um, on all fours and um, you got to put the belt around your head and kind of pull each other backwards. So um, 
we used to do it a fair bit in Japan. Um, that some reason these Queenslanders I was staying with up there or living with um, were pretty good at it. Um, but it, it's a bit of a, a, a bush backyard thing to do, but it's a good fun and it still occurs. Mainly, um, might be on the silly Sunday, but um, yes, we did have a few other things like uh, we used to have a bell in our clubhouse, but um, anyone who rang the bell got to nominate someone that run up your don't step. But um, unfortunately, things have changed and um, probably a good thing that we can't do that anymore as well because people like Matt Greatbatch running at someone at two o'clock in the morning, <laughs> um, <laughs> someone didn't end up that well. Yeah, I think that I might get going to wrestling happening with my boys during lockdown. That might just be something to get 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 into. Nigel, look, it's been good to chat. It's so good to see that uh, things are prospering with the Orange Emus, and we'd love to get you on the running game again. No, no, thank you guys, and really appreciate and keep up the good work. That's it for the running game this week. We'll be with you every week with more rugby chat and great interviews. Follow us on your favourite podcast app. Thanks again today to Ben Whitaker and Nigel Staniforth. It was a lot of fun, wasn't it, Matty? Great fun. Great chatting to a few uh, old mates and a, and a great show. And uh, do it again next week. Gets me out of lockdown. Yes, absolutely. Thanks to Spartan Sports. And, of course, our wonderful producer who brings this whole show together, Mr. Dan McHugh. See you next week. Thanks, Tim. Great show. See you next week.